0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet It's another cracking installment of the Map Round Show. This is the Secrets of Fail series where we're talking about our failures in business, you know, the stuff no one wants to share on their LinkedIn timeline. Uh, but uh, with us in the hot seat is the uh, CEO of a, a very interesting company called Freestar, and his name is Kurt Donnell. Kurt, welcome to the show, bud.
1: Hey, Matt. Thanks so much for having me David. Appreciate it.
0: Anytime, man. So why don't you quickly kick us off, dude, and uh, hook us up with the uh, elevator pitch. What are you guys up to over there?
1: Yeah, Freestar plays in a weird little niche of the world. We help put ads on the internet as a managed service. So uh, most ads these days are sold in a real-time auction in a matter of milliseconds based on sort of the browsing history, content of the page, and a variety of things uh, of Sort of, we try to figure out who's willing to pay the most for your eyeballs at any given time. So we represent large publishers ranging from Reuters and Al Jazeera to Groupon, Warner Music, and help take care of sort of all the digital media monetization for them so they can focus on the content audience development side of things.
0: Very interesting. So what's the problem that you solve? Is it about reach or uh, revenue generation? Like. What sort of uh, challenges come across, uh, you know, your team every day?
1: Yeah, it's the revenue generation. More or less, the uh, digital media publishers are pretty great at the content side and getting eyeballs there. Often they struggle on the advertising technology side, which is the entire revenue function. So they more or less outsource the revenue function to us. You can kind of think of Freestar as monetization in a box, if you will. So... Our tech lives on their pages. We bring all of these different bidders to the auction, and then we run the auction and really try to optimize the revenue for the publisher so that they can generate um, as much value as they can out of all the users that come, obviously keeps paying for all that free content across the internet. And so we really think of ourselves as a kind of an advocate for the publisher side of the advertising equation.
0: Oh, wait, your content's free?
1: <laughs> well, all of it. That's the beauty of the internet, right? Most yeah, of yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the world's information is free these days. It's great. Yeah, I
0: know, right? God damn. <laughs> don't let your schooling get in <laughs> the way of education. <laughs> all right, Indeed. that's awesome, man. So, uh, why don't you, uh, let's get into the meat and the potatoes. And uh, if you would, uh, kick us off with your story of fail.
1: Sure. So I think I've had, I guess, a couple of them in my career. I set off originally to be a lawyer um, on about my third day at my law firm, realized that was not my calling in life. And so I'd spent a lot of time and energy getting to that point in time. So I don't know if that was a fail or not. I, in hindsight, realized I learned a lot practicing at large law firms, but probably the biggest story of fail that I learned a lot from was helping take the last company I was at public. And then, um, it was a roll-up of yoga studios of all things. So my job, I was general counsel, but also was flying around the country buying yoga studios. And um, every time we announced one of the deals that we had done, which was, it was a roll-up, we were supposed to go buy things, the stock price went down. And so unfortunately that company got to the point where it just wasn't accretive for us to do the deals. So this entire sort of goal we had set out to do, which was build this big national brand kind of came grinding to a halt because, The deals were not accretive and we didn't have the opportunity to keep growing enterprise values. We'd spent all the blood, sweat and tears of going through the IPO process, getting this company public to have the thesis kind of fall apart on us. And so a very challenging thing to have gone through, Um, learned a lot of lessons about running a public company and maybe some of the reasons not to do that, certainly. And then really kind of learned about examining. You know, even though something seems great on paper, digging in a little bit deeper on some of the assumptions you maybe made that got you to a place. And while it seemed great and all the investment bankers were telling us this needed to happen, I always had this sort of sneaking suspicion in the back of my head. This company was way too small to be public. And it turned out it was in fact way too small to be public. So a lot of lessons came along with that one. Um, I think I'm gonna run away from the public company uh, IPO thing for a little while here until it's really a big enough opportunity to make it happen.
0: Got it, man. So how many yoga studios were you buying at a, you know, how, how big were you trying to get?
1: Yeah. So when I joined the company, we we're probably about 70 yoga studios. And over the course of, I don't know, the first 12 to 15 months that we had it public, we bought another 20 or 25. So we were getting close to 100 studios, um, which made it the second largest yoga chain in the country. So we were reaching scale and it was just, it was frustrating. because we were really doing what we said we were going to do. We were finding very good unit economics on the deals that we were doing, some great operators that joined us through the process. But unfortunately, the public markets are a little more fickle than I had given them credit for. I think you go through school being told it's a very efficient supply, demand, all of those things. And I'm not sure that is, uh, in fact, the case in the public markets.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll connect you to David Weald, the former vice chairman of the Nasdaq. Nasdaq, rather. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he did like a thousand IPO valuations. You can you can get his perspective. He's quite opinionated on it, but um, that's a, yeah. that's a podcast for another day. Um, so, what did that experience teach you? I mean, it must have taught you quite a bit.
1: Absolutely, I think it is just. Like anything in life, make sure you do your diligence up front. I think I went in a little bit uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed of, hey, I got the chance to go do this IPO. You know, It was a really interesting opportunity. I think investment bankers will say a lot of things to go get a deal done. I've met some good ones and some bad ones, but I think it is sort of trust your gut a little bit as we're going through the process of this and sort of going out and telling the story it probably should have been a little more evident that the company was a bit too small to be public to be honest as i'm looking at it with some hindsight here so i think one of the lessons is just make sure you really examine all of the aspects of something you're getting into just because somebody else tells you it's a good idea make sure you really gut check it and believe that is a piece of the whole thing um i also think there is just an element of, if you see the writing on the wall that you're trying something, trying something and getting consistent feedback from the market, whether that's pricing product, or in this case, sort of the business model of rolling these things up, you should probably pause and not blindly do it. You know, there's a lot of things I think we do as operators of businesses where you do it with the best intention, but it just doesn't land as you think it should be. And make sure you don't fall victim to the kind of the sunk cost fallacy or keep throwing good money after bad, you know, it's tough mm-hmm. to make those pivots and say, you know, I made a mistake and eat some crow and have to tell your team, you know, we went the wrong direction, but you're going to get a lot more, I think, respect and trust by being honest about that. At my current company, we had a situation like that. Where we sort of marched down a path from some technology and realized a couple months into it that we were potentially risking a good chunk of our revenue by having to migrate from one system to the other and had to hit the pause button and unfortunately throw away a little bit of work but it was the best thing we could have done in the long run and so Mm -hmm. i think there's the element of sorry knowing when to say when and being willing to look yourself in the mirror and say i made a mistake and learn from it i think that's a big thing every entrepreneur and operator needs to figure out how to do and be able to go to sleep at night
0: yeah so what happened with that yoga studio i'm assuming it went best.
1: Unfortunately, it did. I mean, the, the business continued after we sort of paused on the acquisition side. It continued for a while, moved around. Um, I ultimately left the business after we sort of stopped the acquisition side of things, got the opportunity to join FreeStar as CEO. But COVID ultimately did it in, as it unfortunately did so many of the health businesses that were very in-person focused. Mm-hmm. Um, YogaWorks still has a online presence, but the actual physical uh, yoga studios are no longer, which is a shame because it was actually one of the pioneers of the American yoga movement 20, 30 years ago. Um, so it's a shame, sort of an institution went by the wayside during COVID. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a shame.
0: Mm, it is indeed. So what would you do differently?
1: I think in that specific instance, probably would have waited till the company was a little bit bigger to do an IPO. I think it is a very sexy thing. Um, I think a lot of people don't take into account what it means to be a public company, if only just the costs associated with it. You have your directors and officers insurance. You have all of your listing fees with the NASDAQ, as you mentioned earlier. You have your legal fees to do those things. And then you also have to manage the shareholders throughout the entire process. And it brings a really short-term horizon into a business where every quarter you're making your projections and you're judged on whether or not you kind of beat what you said you were going to do. And well, you do your very best to not let that sort of shade any judgment or do anything for the short run. It's kind of tough to not let that creep into the back of your mind a little bit. So I would say anyone that's considering that route, potentially wait a little bit longer than you think you should um, before going down that path. I think the other piece is, and this is probably more relatable to any business, if you're going to raise capital or do anything, head into an acquisition process, make sure you have just sort of all of your ducks in a row. Don't try to necessarily be building uh, the plane while you're flying it into such a big transaction like that. And I've been doing M&A most of my career and then have been on the other side raising some capital. And I think if you take the extra three or four months to really get ready for any process, whether it's an IPO, a sale, a capital raise, you'll do yourself a lot of favors by not trying to pull that all together at the same time. Mm. And so I think those are a couple lessons learned throughout, I guess, the yoga experience specifically, but then broader over the last decade or so of my career.
0: Mm-hmm. so kurt what is your advice to other ceos in terms of the importance of failure in business or the you know their relationship with failure what what comes to mind as a key uh, words of wisdom
1: like anything in life you learn a lot more from the losses than the wins um, you know it's fun to celebrate the wins we don't necessarily get a lot out of them it's something that talk to my team about something I talk to my kids about, but I think it's really important to reflect on those moments where you did have a loss and try to pick up what are the lessons that we can learn? What are the things I would do differently about it? Not to beat yourself up. Um, I think most of us made the best decision yesterday we could with the information we had yesterday. And if we can make a better decision today with better information, we will, but make sure you pick up the ways that you can make a better decision today because I think sometimes that gets lost if you want to pretend like it didn't happen or you want to blame somebody else. I think you need to own the fact that you charted that course, but take it as a learning experience, not as a failure in that you did something wrong, but just an opportunity to learn is really what it comes from. Um, I would recommend doing postmortems on things that went particularly bad. You'll be amazed how many preventative steps will come out of those for the next time you're going to do something if you really go take it apart and spend the time to do that. And I know it hurts a little bit to dwell on the pain of a failure sometimes, but you're going to get so much more out of it if you lean into it than just kind of sweep it under the rug.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell me, Kurt, are there any books or tools or resources you recommend CEOs should use in their uh, their journey?
1: It's interesting. Um, I don't know if it relates to failure as much. I think there's an interesting book called Build by Tony Fidel that sort of covers all elements from sort of product development up to and including being a CEO. I think it's a pretty fascinating book that makes you think about things very holistically. That was one fairly recently that I dug into. Um, an interesting one, uh, we had actually a we have a virtual speaker series in my company. Um, we had a woman come on. She wrote the book, Bringing Up the Boss. She spoke with us recently. It is a great management book for new managers and even those that have been doing it for a while to think about things a little bit differently. So those are a couple that are fairly fresh on the bookshelf here in the last you know six to 12 months that we've been talking about quite a bit inside of the company.
0: Awesome, man. Well, Kurt, uh, that concludes your time in the, on the hot seat. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for being, uh, you know, uh, authentic in terms of your own experiences in failure in business. I know it's made a difference to me and I'm sure it would make a difference to my audience as well. So thanks for being on the show.
1: Absolutely, Matt. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Kurt, stick around. Everybody else, we'll see you all again soon.